The views and opinions expressed on Red Planet are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Red Planet nor any affiliated or related entities. This podcast is provided for educational purposes only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Red Planet. This week, Kira and Mule provide some of the history which has created the modern state of Yemen. Plus, a look at how well Israel is complying with the ICJ's orders not to commit a genocide, Mexico City is facing a desperate water crisis, and the Imperial Corps keeps dropping bombs to defend its Middle East interests. But first, Mule has an observation about our current cultural boogeyman. So, you know, my latest video, it's all about AI and art and what it means to be creative and all this kind of stuff. And I had absolutely no idea about any of the PAL world discourse that was getting about. Um, and you don't even know what PAL world is, right? Like, I think I've seen it. Uh, I think I've seen the words PAL world like twice. I've been trying to avoid the Internet, to be fair. So this is probably on me. Yeah. Uh, well, Power World is uh, it's Pokemon where it's the the bits about Pokemon that everybody talks about where it's like, oh, yeah, obviously Pokemon are slaves and they do stuff for humans. And, you know, they're basically just doing animal combat. Um, yeah, like dogfighting. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's just like enhanced. That is, it's just like an enhanced sort of like very obvious part of the game. But the thing that everybody's mad about instead of like, I don't know. I think I think it's supposed to be satirical, but the thing that everybody's mad about is that they're saying that it's like AI and they used AI to make it and all that stuff. But when you when you like look a little deeper, it's it's kind of just like very very creatively plagiarized a lot of the designs from Nintendo. Um, and I just think it's like such a unique and interesting world that we live in now, where everyone is like hypersensitive to to AI and things being made with AI. So that as soon as they see something that's like creatively bad. They're just like, no, it's AI. That's definitely AI. Um, it's just such a really weird and unique situation that we're in. Anyway, uh, that's our cold open for the show. Welcome in. Power World. Power World. Yeah, think about it. It's Power World. Here's my cold open. I mean, I'm drinking Twinnings tea. Is that Twinnings? <laughs> Twinings? It's Twinings. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, thank goodness I have a British friend. Because first of all, that protects me against any uh, accusations of Britophobia. And secondly, uh, you can correct me when I say things like Twinnings tea. So now I know it's Twinnings tea. Well, the thing you should know about Twinnings tea is it's definitely not something I can afford. So uh, good for you. Uh, don't know how you can like, <laughs> don't know how you've got that over there in the States. Maybe it's more popular in the States. I don't know. This is like bargain bin tea at the grocery really? store. Yeah. Whoa, that's wild. No way. Twinings is like, it's known as like the posh. Are you serious? Posh tea brand. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on Yorkshire tea and you can get like 150 bags for, I think, I think it's three pounds or something. I don't okay. Know. Yeah. That's, that's probably not the price that I, I purchased this at, but uh, I have been thinking about like, what if I move to England? I'm actually thinking about visiting England, by the way, which I need to talk to you about because I, I was thinking of visiting Manchester. Whoa. Wow. 
and just like seeing my friend mule because we're friends we're actually we're actually friends yeah we're actually friends and so i was like what if i have friendship and do the do friendship what if there was friendship what a call to action for friendship (laughs) cool yeah Anyway, yeah, we should talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we, we should talk about that. But this might as well just bring it up live because I never remembered to contact you, despite the fact that we're friends. <laughs> Anyways, I forgot. I cut you off. Welcome to Red Planet. Sorry. <laughs> it's Red Planet. But the question is, what's the most base thing that you did this week? Honestly, I've been a, a kind of a piece of shit. Um, I've been like on absolute survival mode trying to take care of this whole twitch ban situation um not doing well mentally i tried to do a youtube stream uh recently and i just like had a panic attack and it was just like it wasn't very pretty um so apologies to anyone who was there and saw me like freak out that's me just having a little bit of a of a moment so i'm trying my best to like reel it back and and try to do whatever I can to take care of myself. But I have been looking into like trauma and just like coming to terms with just the immense cartoonish amount of trauma I've experienced, like, like absurd amount. Now that I'm like thinking about it, I'm like thinking of things I haven't thought about. I'm like, Oh yeah, that did happen to me. Oh yeah. And that also happened. Trauma is kind of like that. Yeah. 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 And also just, just recognizing that it's not just like a a passing moment. These things like leave physical marks in your body. Like it actually etches like physically in your body. Um, And so, I don't know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to just better acquaint myself with like the realities of of what i've experienced and what i am continuing to experience which is the tough part about trauma if you're still experiencing a trauma the thing that traumatizes you and there's no escape from it it's kind of hard to heal it's kind of hard to like be able to have that space where you're like okay now you're in a safe space because i'm like i'm not i'm still fighting tooth and nail to like get my channel back and like you know try to avoid fascist attacks which is like plaguing me like all the fucking time so i don't know it's not as particularly based explicitly but it's it's i feel like it's in the category of of doing something in the direction of base which is like nah, it's explicitly based it's explicitly okay. based you know we've said this time and time again that like you know self-care is uh entirely based and i think that there's something to be said about trauma and understanding your trauma and how that affects you and going into your past and like accepting yeah. that and and uh uh, uh, trying to reckon with it is super based, right? Uh, you know, especially if this is something that you're doing on your own time, independently, without the help of a therapist, because therapists can be very problematic sometimes. Well, a lot of the time, uh, you know, especially institution-based psychiatrists. Um, and, I will say um, I am nervous about that. I haven't had a therapist. I've never really had a therapist. I've gone to therapy sessions, but I never like had a therapist consistently. Mm-hmm. And I'm considering it, but like, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm just exhausted at the prospect of it, <laughs> you know, like, especially because I know how much like the field of psychology, because I was, that was my major in college, how much the field of psychology does not like actually acknowledge the immense stress and hell that is capitalism, that is patriarchy, etc. It tends to, and, I'm, and forgive me if there's anyone listening right now that is like in the field and is actually very based about it. I am not mm. talking about you. I'm talking about the vast majority. And I think you probably could agree of, of professionals in that field that tend to individualize things um, as being like, you know, perspective issues, et cetera, et cetera. When it's just like, 
like it, it it's very frustrating it's it's a little bit gaslighty to constantly like focus on the individual and how the individual should be better coping with a reality that no human being should be coping with no none of us should have to grapple with these things this should not happen this is a hell world I'll tell you an interesting thing, and uh, this I, I I remembered this. I'd actually blocked this out of my memory, but I remember this from um, because when in my stream this week or last week, one of my chatters was saying that this happened to them as well. Um, but I was one of the things that I wanted to speak to my therapist about when I finally got round to getting like good therapy with the help of my parents because I can't afford it myself. Um, the my therapist was talked to me about, you know, talk to me about your political stuff and like, you know, why why that's bothering you and stuff. Cause I've mentioned that was a thing that was upsetting me. And I was saying things like, you know, talking about all the bad things in the world. And this was back in like 2019. And I was talking about, you know, just the situation in Palestine and stuff like that. And the guy stopped me and he went, you know, I'm Jewish. And I said, well, I didn't think that that was a, a problem, but he went, are you an anti-Semite? And I had to like... <laughs> <laughs> I knew what was going down and I was like, you know what, dude, Let, let's not talk about that. No worries, man. Uh, that's all good. But, you know, and this is a thing that happens. This is another thing that happens. Like, you know, the therapists do not accept that um, trauma can come from having to witness people be genocided. It can come from things like that. You know, this is, this is a real thing. Like none of us, none of us, I think are, um, I guess, built to 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 witness these kind of things no less the people who are going through it you know what i mean well, just so, close, um, close your eyes just shut your eyes close your eyes pretend it's not happening lmao just close your eyes it's just turn off the internet funnily enough that was his advice to me he was like well compartment he says you don't have to ignore it but compartmentalize it and i was like isn't that actually like horrible advice isn't that like telling you to take your feelings and crush them down and not crush them down only only talk about them in a little bit yeah yeah a, a small portion of your life so that is also something to um um <laughs> that reminds me of like one of the few times that i did go to a therapist i was telling them how like when i closed my eyes i saw animal cruelty because at this point i was like very deep in the weeds of animal uh rights activism and he kind of was just like scoffed at it like he thought that like i was make like not making it up but like he just kind of was just like okay well anyways like, like, I don't know how to explain his reaction because it was so bizarre to me. But it, now that you're, it, it just feels like, shut up about the politics. That's silly. Let's talk about the diagnosable things that are in a textbook that that are individualized and have no bearing, no relationship to the material conditions of this world. Yeah, they literally say to you, um, don't worry about Palestine. Don't worry about animals in abattoirs. Just live your life be a productive person for capitalism and don't don't think about that stuff <laughs> so yeah so i do think it, i do think it's extremely based coming back coming back to the to the point this is I do such think a it's... mule and kira episode we're never mule, or Con conrad's gonna hate us for this we're <laughs> 14 minutes in and i'm we're still talking about what base things i've done which is nothing no. just like kind of whole whole just like make a little hole in my friend's home because i hung out with them for a week and i just like hung out in his in his living room it was just like no it is based that is based that is based it is based i'm telling you now the palestine flag in front of his house though so there you go there you go you were so base of me to stay there yeah anyways what about you let's get to you before we get sidetracked again what basically yeah. have you done 
So, uh, yeah, it's always as per usual tenant union stuff. Uh, this week we went to one of our um, branches in that's like a more uh, sort of deprived uh, area in Manchester. It's a place called Middleton. It's it's really, 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 really good branch. So many different people come there with exactly the same problems. There's an estate there that's owned by a housing, a social housing provider, and uh, th- this is the place I've mentioned. I've mentioned this area before. It's the place where people have lived, and they've had to have their kids go into hospital because they can't breathe. Um, you know, uh, uh, people have actually like gone into these houses and felt like the air on their chest and gone, "Oh my god, how do you live here?" There was also the, there was basically a big meeting that we had, um, and it was helped organised by Dan, who is um, also in the Gaskell Garden Project, but he works for Manchester Tenants Union. Dan Isaac, um, he's been on Red Planet before talking about that stuff, and uh, he had made this big uh, presentation about housing and about like just educating the people who came there on how collective action uh, coming together and, and using your people power can get what you want versus going down like a kind of legal route. Um, and in one of the bits of the presentation, he brought up one of these houses and, and what an independent surveyor had said about the houses. He said, these are the same conditions that cause rain clouds to form within this person's house. It's it's laughable, right? It's actually a joke. It's completely bizarre. It's like, what is happening? I'm sorry, the- it's not funny, but like... Sometimes you have to laugh at like the absurdity of these these scumbags, these absolutely scumbags. Like how scummy are you? Oh, you're just you're so bad at maintaining a property for a person you're exploiting that it's literally creating its own atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the kind of you know, thing that we're faced with on the ground. And, uh, you know, th- th- these people in these housing associations are just laughing at us. They're laughing at us. People are going uh, and, and complaining to them and they're just like, yeah, okay, we'll send someone out. And then they never send them out. Uh, they, they, they've been told that, um, uh, well, someone in the housing association doesn't work there anymore is told uh, one of our members that basically like, yeah, uh, we do this thing called a soft knock which is where we basically like knock as soft as we can and then leg it basically. Uh, and then we say, we tried to get you, but you weren't in. Uh, it's just a joke. So we were there essentially doing what we call an agitation session. Um, and I've been to Middleton a couple of times, uh, the branch there, and it is always the same in Middleton because they don't have anyone to talk about this stuff with. So they come there and it's basically like a big venting session. Uh, and there were multiple times in the meeting where we had to say, to everyone there, like, look, you know, let's just crack on with the thing because we got more to get through because everybody just wanted to, to complain about their housing. And understandably, um, so it was a big agitation uh, session and we got a new member. Uh, we got some people who were interested in like just, you know, joining the dispute uh, as, as as part of the collective whole, which was really good. Um, so that was really, 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 really good. And, and uh, I'm also doing uh, the different disputes related to individual members that I'm currently dealing with at the minute. Uh, lots of stuff going on. Can't remember it all off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, lots of tenants union stuff as per usual. So there you go. Uh, and we want to hear, actually, if you have done anything based. We want to know what based things you've been doing. You can message us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, or send an email to based at redplanetshow.com. Include your name and your pronouns if you're cool with that, and we may shout it out in a later episode. 
But we're going to do the news now. And I didn't know that this first news bit was my news bit. So that's my bad. I should have let you say the bit about the base viewers so it flowed a bit better and, and gave you more airtime um, because you're my friend and my co-host and my real life friend. And you're not sexist. You're not trying to speak over women. I'm always speaking over women and I'm doing my best to like, you know, not do that. Uh, but anyway, we'll, <laughs> we'll crack on with the news. Um, so here we go. First news piece is about the United States still dropping bombs in the Middle East. What? Um, yeah, yeah, I know. Can you imagine that? What? Wow. Crazy. But you should vote for the Democrats though, because, uh, the other guy's worse. Um, Wait, the U.S. is also still occupying Iraq? Whoa, what? There's, pe- there's still-, still... And more people need to talk about this. Every day we need to be like, yeah, another day goes by that the U.S. has not pulled out of Iraq. Yeah. Just by yeah, the I th- way. I, th- I think that's really important, actually. Yeah. Like, so many people don't know. No. <laughs> Everyone's just like, oh, they came out of Afghanistan. That's the same yeah, country, right? That's-, <laughs> <laughs> that's literally how people think. Um, so yeah, this, this story is, uh, obviously, you know, we're, um, we're, we're highlighting the fact that the, this has been ongoing for a long time. Um, uh, but the United States has executed airstrikes on several locations in Iraq and Syria this Friday, targeting assets of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps and affiliated militia groups. The airstrikes were a response to an attack at a U.S. base near the border of Syria and Jordan, which killed three soldiers on the 28th of January. Iraqi officials have said at least 16 are dead in the airstrikes, including civilians. U.S. Central Command claims the attack struck 85 targets, including command and control operations, intelligence centers, and drone storage facilities. President Biden has said that attacks, quote, will continue at times and places of our choosing, despite also claiming the United States, um, quote, does not seek conflict in the Middle East or anywhere else in the world. Interesting. The U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan has stated that more American attacks, sorry, American attacks should be expected. It is widely believed that the Islamic resistance, who has claimed responsibility for the January 28th attack on the U.S. base, known as Tower 22, was armed, trained, and funded by the Iranian uh, Revolutionary Guard Corps. However, Iran continues to deny involvement in the attack on the U.S. base, saying it was, quote, not involved in the decision-making of resistance groups. Following the attack, Iran's foreign ministry further responded by saying the strikes, quote, will have no result other than intensifying tensions and instability in the region. In addition to the bombings in Iraq, another wave of joint strikes by the US and UK against Houthi targets in Yemen were executed on Saturday. This is the third such joint operation which seeks to stop the actions of the Houthi in the Red Sea, who have been attacking commercial shipping vessels bound for Israel. Now, Kira, uh, have you got any thoughts on this? I know we're going to be talking a bit about this later, but initially, um, anything to add? Yeah, so we will, de- like you said, we're definitely going to be talking about this later because today's episode's going to be discussing the history of Yemen and, in you know, obviously the, the history of the Houthis in Yemen. Um, but I will say that what Iran is saying is pretty consistent with what it says with regards to other groups. So Iran is known as like the leader of the axis of resistance and that it helps to lead a bunch of different uh, groups in the Middle East to basically like share the common goal of, of fighting against the West and Israel. 
the Israeli occupation. <clears throat> so Iran has uh, can participate in coordination, and they do admit to when they do participate in coordination. But a lot of their influence is funds that does not have any sort of follow up kind of dictation of like what to do with them. Um, if my understanding is correct, I believe the Houthis are also um, involved in Iran in that regard, and then Iran funds the Houthi or provides funds, I don't want to say completely, but provides funds for the Houthis, but does not dictate specifically what the Houthis should be doing. So for Iran to say this, it seems pretty consistent with their MO effectively. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of all I have to say about it. Cool. Give us the next story. I will. Um, protests have broken out in Mexico City over water shortages. So this week, residents in and around Mexico City protested following weeks, weeks of water shortages, with some residents having been without water in their homes for more than a month. Officials have called the present situation unprecedented, with reserves down to less than 40 percent in the infrastructure system, which provides water in Mexico City to Mexico City, down from 54 percent this time last year. So Mexico has been suffering from a water crisis uh, for several years now. It was built on a lake, built on a lake in a high altitude valley. The city is dependent on rainfall to maintain its underground aquifer and supply its six million people. However, recent years have seen a considerable reduction in precipitation. And it is expected to be months before the situation improves with the summer monsoon season. Even then, the shift in weather could lead to more problems due to the, quote, whiplash effect, which is a situation in which sudden changes in wet conditions leads to flooding in urban areas. So the situa situation in Mexico City is yet another example of the dire immediate need to address climate change, something uh, we expect to see repeatedly in the coming years. And it also should be said that climate change does affect the most vulnerable and the most um, blameless the most. Just by virtue of not only just the locations in which we're seeing um, climate change kind of like kick into gear the hardest, but also the nature of which um, people without funds, without power, can't really escape the climate. Whereas Bezos can, you know, go to one of his many homes and just live on a live on a hill, you know, <laughs> just just kind of uses money to 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 stay safe. So um, solidarity with all the victims of climate change, especially the most vulnerable of us. But Mule, could you tell me what's going on in New Zealand? I can. Yes. Uh, so outrage over plans to unwind Maori policies may confront New, New Zealand's leaders at Waitangi Day events this week. Uh, so crowds at this weekend's anniversary of New Zealand's founding documents signing in the town of Waitangi are expected to be their biggest in 30 years as indigenous Maori plan to discuss and protest proposed policies that some say will disadvantage them. The main celebrations will be held on February the 6th, marking the day in 1840 when the Treaty of Waitangi uh, was first signed between the British Crown and more than 500 Maori chiefs. New Zealand's centre-right coalition, which took office last year, is promising to undo policies of previous governments, particularly those promoting the official use of the Maori language and seeking to enhance Indigenous living standards and rights. The government has also said it will introduce, but are not committed to passing, a bill that would reinterpret the Treaty of Waitangi. 
Critics say the moves are the most significant step backward for Maori rights in decades, and some have taken legal action against the government in an effort to stop the policy changes. Outraged by the government's proposals to drastically unwind policies that support Maori and to review the country's founding document, the Treaty of Waitangi, Maori have galvanized across tribes and movements in a way not seen in decades. Some of the government's attempts are already being challenged in the courts and given the level of opposition from well-funded Maori organizations, the list of challenges will grow. Prime Minister Christopher Luxon with Deputy Prime Minister and New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters and ACT Leader David Seymour have signed to a coalition that will either repeal or review at least a dozen Maori-related policies. It includes abolishing the Maori Health Authority set up to address appalling health disparities and rolling back the use of the endangered Maori language Te Reo Maori in government departments. Um, those political parties mentioned are some of the worst, most reactionary parties in New Zealand. Uh, if you want to see uh, someone uh, absolutely dunk on them, you can check out our co-host Tim's Twitter. He's always talking about how horrific losers act are. Um, speaking in the Pauwiri, I don't know if I'm getting the pronunciation of that right, so apologies, welcoming ceremony. I also don't know if I'm going to get this word right either. Uh, Nyapui leader, Hone Sadler, acknowledged the anger and hurt many felt towards the coalition, but urged them not to stoop to its level. Let us remain peaceful, humble, but don't drop our guard. They will be here to share their thoughts. Let them know our thoughts and feelings. Let us look for prosperity of unity, he said. The Manohiri guests responded with a call for peace, love, and unity. Baden Barber of Nagati Kahungunu said Maori must stand up and fight, but not with violence. Unite, unite, for we must be united. We have representation of the whole country and acknowledging the sacred documents, he Wakaputanga and Te Tiriti o Waitangi remain steadfast to Iwi Maori. This is the right place to meet and unite, to convey our thoughts, our ideas, he said. Protest has long been part of Waitangi uh, celebrations, and in 1995, official events had to be cancelled due to anger over government policies. In 2016, a minister was struck in the face by a dildo thrown by a woman protesting a trade <laughs> a trade agreement. <laughs> and that woman was me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, Everyone stands up. I'm the dildo thrower. No, I'm the dildo thrower. <laughs> no, I'm the dildo we thrower. Are the dildo. <laughs> okay. Anyway, sorry. Go on. Uh, no, that's it. Uh, yeah, I think. Um, yeah, this is this is something that we, we're seeing across the imperial core, right? This, this is uh, more and more reactionary policies, more and more reactionary governments. Um, just fighting back against what what is essentially growing left wing ideas, growing left wing movements. Um, again, you know the views the views of these are not of the many. The views are of the few. Um, they are determined to divide and rule, uh, maintain the imperialist hegemony that uh, the imperial core has over the world. Um, and this is just you know yet another slap in the face to to indigenous people in New Zealand, Maori who for years and years and years, you know, decades, or I think centuries actually, like, you know, just had this horrific oppression um, and attempt to erase their culture and erase, erase, uh, you know, just them as, as, as a people anyway. 
uh, by the, the the colonial powers. So just absolutely horrific. Um, but we've uh, got more of that in the next piece, and uh, we got the big Palestine update uh, by our wonderful uh, host Kira Chats and my actual friend. She's right here um, to talk to you about that. Yeah, we are friends. This is true. Um, So just like every week, I'm here to bring you the updates on the last week, what's going on in Palestine. Um, And just like every week, I'm going to tell you that this is not a comprehensive review of all of the immense atrocities going on in Palestine. When I was trying to write this section uh, last night, I was just like, I could be talking for such a long time because it is remarkable how many war crimes the Zionist entity manages to churn out in just a week. It's in and a variety of them, not just the same ones, like a variety of them. We're we're talking about taking Palestinian men prisoner, blindfolding them, putting them on a bus and then forcing them to 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 acknowledge one particular uh, occupying uh, soldier's family and say that they will all bow down to be slaves for them. Like there are several instances of Israelis forcing Palestinians to announce that they are are now slaves. It, it's really fucked up. Um, so just just to say that this is not a comprehensive review, but I'm going to try to get to the bigger chunks that people are discussing. So. About nine days ago, the ICJ ruled that Israel is plausibly committing genocide, which is a huge deal. This is a huge uh, uh, result that many Palestinians, uh, many Palestinian allies are, are applauding. So in the interim ruling, the, co- ruling the court in the, ha- the Hague, excuse me, ordered Israel to abide by six provisional measures. Among these, the court ordered Israel to take all possible measures to prevent genocidal acts to prevent and punish direct and public incitement to genocide, to take immediate and effective steps to ensure the provision of basic services and humanitarian aid to civilians in Gaza, and to preserve evidence of genocide and submit a report to the ICJ within a month, laying out how it is complying with all these orders. So I thought it would be fun if we went down the line and checked out how is Israel doing? It's been a week since, about a week since the ICJ has ruled that Israel is plausibly committing genocide and that they need to immediately take these measures. Let's take a look to see what's going on. So for the first point that the first order that the court uh, administered, which is take all possible measures to prevent genocidal acts. Well, since the ICJ's ruling, Israeli occupation forces have murdered at least 981 Palestinians and have injured at least 1,655. Just recall that half of the population in Gaza is children. The Zionist entity has also continued targeting multiple hospitals, including tanks bombarding Nasser Hospital and now a 12-day siege on Al-Amal Hospital in Khan Yunus, putting even more strain on the immensely devastated healthcare system in Gaza. And refugee camps continue to be assaulted, including so-called safe zones and a multitude of other genocidal acts. But it just should be said that they are not actually satisfying in the least bit. Um, the first, the first order, which is take all measure possible measures to prevent genocidal acts. Um, and it should be also noted that all these kind of feed into each other. So the next, you know, all these orders. So the next order. The ICJ ordered Israel to prevent and punish direct and public incitements to genocide. 
So just note that explicit calls for genocide constituted a very large part of the South of South Africa's case against Israel is kind of a smoking gun because it's one thing for states to do something and then, you know, claim that it was an accident, bystanders, et cetera. It's another thing. And by the way, it doesn't mean it's not genocide, to be clear. But in terms of like a smoking gun that you can point to, um, if you've been following the situation in, in Palestine, you'll know that Israel has no shortage of moments. The leadership has and and from everywhere from the leadership down has just been happy to announce that they're committing a genocide. Um so, for instance, citing scriptures, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said himself in a televised address in late October, you remember what Amalek, Amalek has done to you. The Amalekites were persecutors of the biblical Israelites, and in scriptures, God commands them to be destroyed. So he's effectively saying, destroy Palestinians. Um, two days after the Hamas attacks on Israel on October 7th, Gallant which is uh, Yoav Gallant, who is the Minister of Defense of Israel, said Israel's fighting human animals when he announced a complete siege in Gaza. Uh, Speaker Nisim Vaturi from Netanyahu's Likud party wrote on X, Twitter, aka Twitter, that Israelis had one common goal, erasing the Gaza Strip from the face of the earth. Israeli Heritage Minister Amiche Eli Eliyahu from Far Right Jewish Power Party suggested that Israel drop a nuclear bomb on Gaza and said they were, quote, no uninvolved civilians, quote, in the territory. So there is way more, but those are just a just a, a taste of the types of rhetoric that were <laughs> that we're seeing out of Israel. Um, and these are this is not just coming out of Israel. These are the people in power that are actually dictating the course of events the 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 assault on on Palestinians. So none of these figures have stepped down. None of these figures have been forced to step down, and none of these statements have been addressed by Israel. So going back to Defense Minister Yoav Gallant, which is one of the three Israeli officials that was explicitly criticized personally by South Africa um, for the, uh, or excuse me the judges the ICJ for their genocidal comments has not been taken into custody. He's not been forced to step down. Instead, he's still in power, and he's made it clear that Israel does not intend to seize its war on Gaza nor change its behavior, saying, quote, we are achieving our missions in Khan Yunus. We will also reach Rafa and eliminate terror elements that threaten us. So if you are familiar with Rafa, Rafa is the southernmost city in Ga on the Gaza Strip. It borders Egypt. It's one of the three places that you can exit the Gaza Strip um, you can't exit anywhere else. You can't exit by sea because you'll get sniped either by the Israeli military or by the Egyptian Navy. So um, Israel has instructed Palestinians to go to Rafah, to, to flee through the Rafah border, and that this is one of the quote-unquote safe zones. So as of, as of this moment, about 50% of Gaza's 2.3 million remaining residents are in Rafah. So by... By this motherfucker, uh, Yoav Gallant, the defense minister, saying that they are now going to eliminate the terror elements that threaten us in Rafa, seeing how they have over, you know, repeatedly, time and time again, just completely bombarded civilians, corralling them and completely bombarding them with weapons, you know, with with bombs and, and massacring families. Um, Gallant's comments can only be considered as an expression of further intent to commit genocidal massacre on Palestinians.
And in fact, the rhetoric has continued even further. National Security Minister Ben Gavir and Finance Minister Bezalel Smarich are both far right, uh, uh, both from far right parties in Israel, attended a settler conference in Jerusalem last Sunday, calling for Israel to rebuild settlements in Gaza and establish more in the Occupy West Bank. Their unfettered genocidal comments have not been condemned by anyone in power in Israel. Um, and it should be said that annexing Gaza and 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 basically gentrifying it for 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 Zionist expansion has it's not like a secret that this is something that Israel's wanted to do for even prior to um, you know Israel uh, is excuse me Israelis have been settling in Gaza and then they were forced to leave um, and at that point. Throughout this entire throughout this entire process, it has just been nothing but a plan to expand Israel, not just through Gaza, not just to gentrify Gaza. And maybe, um, Mule, you can speak to this for a second to explain how, like Netanyahu has shown like a map to talk about Greater Israel and expanding it even further. So, like expanding to Gaza, this isn't like a secret. This isn't some far right like kind of whack job fantasy this is something that like re, uh, real estate agents are already like making plans for they're already like making up you know they're making blueprints they're already trying to sell the land yeah so. <clears throat> yeah he he, he showed a, a map literally to the the un um it, it wasn't even uh it, it, you know the 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 audacity of these of these fascists is is beyond the pale really um this this map uh included areas of jordan syria uh egypt sudan um and it was called greater israel um you know and this this is not like you know we're, we're going we're going beyond the kind of biblical claims that zionists like to to bring when it comes to uh settling and, and, and colonizing palestine uh this this is this now becomes uh, a, a further well which is what israel always has been which is a, an arm of imperialism in the middle east for the imperial court and that's all it has been um you know to to try and <clears throat> get to this point where israel is basically systematically wiping out not just the uh the countries in the middle east you know no matter what kind of criticisms you might have of like saudi arabia or or, or whatever country in the middle east egypt you know it would be it would be violent imperialist colonialism um and um just just having that laid out at the un and you know nothing be done nothing even be um you know uh, done with regards to like uh, the us or the uk saying like oh maybe you want to you want to rein it in a bit now chief it, it just says everything it just says everything about it uh, i was i was actually like flabbergasted the first time i saw it uh, but you could Google it. You could just Google Netanyahu Greater Israel map, uh, and that will pop up. Uh, it, it's all there for people to see. It's not. It's it, this is not something that people should be taken lightly. I did. I did say this though. I did say um, today on Twitter because people are getting kind of doomy about what's going on in in Gaza, and uh, you know I get it. Like for real. Uh, but I think Kara could probably attest to this. In that, like, the way that, and I think we've discussed this before, I think we discuss this pretty much every time, but I think it does bear repeating just so everybody doesn't feel super depressed and super upset about it. If this is like the first time that you've been woken up to the, to the, the genocide and ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, 
arguably the way that everybody is now talking about it, the way that there have been so many direct action um, uh, examples, the way that the, there's been so much solidarity internationally, forced divestments, and the the ICJ uh, case being discussed, actually actually being discussed, I think is is way better than any of us thought that this would go. We all, every single person who's been out there supporting Palestinians and talking about the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians for years has always dreaded the day when Israel came to, to genocide Gaza, like invade Gaza and, and, and completely destroy it. We all knew it was going to happen because they were talking about it. But I think the way we thought it would go down is they would just do it and no one would notice because no one has noticed any of the other massacres over, over the, the last 75 years. Um, so the way that it's gone is actually like, uh, it's been like a net positive as far as I'm concerned with like the, the movement as a whole. Um, it's obviously still horrific and genocide is happening right now in front of our eyes. And it would be good if more things were done about it. Um, but I don't want anyone to get sort of, you know, too doom and gloom about this. It's, it's a lot better that, that more people are speaking about it. And anyway, sorry, I'm sort of digressing a little bit from our report here from your amazing detailed report so, oh, oh uh, no no problem i just want to say um uh, danarchist in the chat just informed us that all of jordan lebanon syria parts of saudi arabia iraq iran turkey and egypt is greater israel which is a massive amount of 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 arab land <laughs> um so yeah let's get to the next order that the icj has as um you know demanded that Israel comply with, which is to take immediate and effective steps to ensure the provision of basic services and humanitarian aid to civilians in Gaza. So it should be noted that apart from the bombs, which is like the most graphically, like visually impactful uh, elements of the genocide, in my in my view, um, it should be noted that the deliberate prevention of aid to Gazans has been a key pillar in Israel's genocide of Palestinians. And this isn't new. This has been the reality of how Israel has been uh, the siege on Gaza has been uh, happening since since Gaza was handed back to um, Palestinians. That's what the siege is forced to control all of the basic needs, the medicine, water, fuel, everything, food. Um, so that Gazans are still, even though they have, quote unquote, sovereignty, they're still under occupation effectively. Um, so now that's expanded even further. And Israel is thoroughly preventing Gazans from receiving humanitarian aid. Uh, the continued siege on Gaza, Israel's aggressive screening of aid, a.k.a. the rejection of much, if not most, of the aid that is trying to get through the border. And the Israeli occupation forces destroying aid that does make it through. And Israel's unfettered violent bombardment of aid routes and desperate civilians have very effectively and deliberately led to basic humanitarian provisions not being provided to Gazans. And I will also remind you yet again that recall that half of Gaza's population is children. So we're talking about the deliberate, the deliberate prevention in some way, shape or form <laughs> Whether it be like stopping the trucks, whether it be bombing the trucks, whether it be allowing the trucks through, but then torching the the you know torching the food that is inside the trucks, killing civilians trying to access these trucks, forcing civilians to not even uh, be able to get near them. Like there, there's so many different angles to which Israel is uh, pursuing this. Um, right now on screen, you're seeing uh, the I IOF officers torching aid 
in a truck and doing so proudly and uploading it to the internet as a brag, just to be just to be perfectly clear of the, the caliber of scumbag we're dealing with here. Even more egregious, the very same day of the ICJ ruling, Israel conveniently alleged without evidence that 12 employees of the UN Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees, aka the UNRWA, had been directly involved in the Hamas attack on Israel on October 7th. This is 12 employees of thousands for the record and without evidence. Following this, following this very egregious inflammatory accusation without evidence, the United States, the UK, Germany, and a bunch of other major European donors suspended their funding to the UNRWA, which, by the way, is the main humanitarian agency in Gaza that provides food, shelter, and medical supplies. No other humanitarian agency can replace the UNW, the UNRWA or match its services in Gaza. Without this aid, Gazans will some fucking how survive, or sorry, some fucking how suffer even more profoundly than they have before. Chris Gunnis, which is a, a former UNRWA spokesman, said the UN agency has weeks only before it runs out of money for its crucial aid work to survive to save Palestinian lives in Gaza. And by the way, the aid that is coming through is so, so scarce. It's it's we're not talking about like, oh, oh all this aid coming through and now they're going to run out. We're talking uh, more than 90 percent of Gazans are without water, without food, without medicine. <laughs> like we're talking immense despair immense dispossession and we're we're even seeing that little aid going to run out at this rate given the the accusations that israel made that these these cowardly countries have decided to bend the knee to and it should also be mentioned that um well two things really critical support to norman finkelstein um, who basically made the, the tweet this week saying, wow, shock horror. People in Hamas also have day jobs. Um, which I thought was pretty funny because yeah, true. Like, you know, if, if, if you, if you're in Hamas, you're not just like, you know, getting paid by Hamas, like to do military stuff, like you're going to have a job. So they might be like a, an UNRWA school teacher. They might be an UNRWA, um, you know, aid officer or whatever. Like they could be doing that stuff. Of course. Um, you know, UNRWA is, is historically been in Gaza for, for decades, right? Like, you know, there are UNRWA schools, there are UNRWA, uh, you know, all these different institutions um and also i don't know if you knew this kira but um that that number of 12 um uh unra uh, uh you know aid workers being involved in hamas apparently is now actually been walked back to four it's actually already been walked back to four this was it was almost uh i think four days uh, after that this is so classic israel this is so classic israel they love to overshoot and then they go back which is not their uh, gaza note that that the uh, government of Gaza never does this. They're never like overshooting death tolls. They're always undercounting. They're always providing names for everyone. And if they can't, you know, it's 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 incredible. We always seen Israel just try to like have a temper tantrum and 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 make a scene. And then later we're like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, actually, yeah, we were just made a lot of shit up. <laughs> Yeah, I it's it was this was 5 days ago and this was from the actual Israeli intelligence report. Um, you know, four un, UNRWA staff uh, out of 12,000, you know, 12,000 employees. 
Um, it's a joke. Well, I guess uh, now, uh, now millions of children should die, I suppose, or a million children, I should, I, I think, because about 2.3 million in Gaza, so about a million kids. I guess they should just die because four people, four people maybe did something that Israel doesn't like. So I guess now everyone has to suffer and die. Well, I think it's, I think it's like this, this actual like turn to focus on the blocking of aid because as well, it's not just, um, uh, you know, this accusation, um, and the cutting of funding to UNRWA. Um, it's also the, um, it, this has been galvanized and, and, you know, acted upon by Israeli extremists in Israel. Um, they're, well, in, in Palestine, but like, you know, on the border of, of Gaza, they're basically now protesting aid trucks going into Gaza um, at various different points. And it's like... If you've seen videos of this, I should have included one of these, actually. Uh, my apologies, because it's... it's it's You're... I have sometimes a hard time doing these segments because I don't know how to, like, talk. I don't know how to do this. Like, how do you... How do you, how do you properly express the level of evil... That we're witnessing when people holding holding Israeli flags are blocking aid trucks to genocided people that are dying, dying children that are dying, like like the, the, I don't know I don't know I don't know how to like properly like just exist in that world how do I how do I put a sentence together that makes any sense to that scenario. Um, I want to continue saying uh, uh, with what Chris Gunness uh, was was saying, because um, he's a former spokesperson of the UNRWA, which you're calling UNRWA. I never heard of that pronunciation because I, I don't talk to people. So I talk <laughs> in my own head. That's the way I say UNRWA in my head. Um, but he also says, my message to the Arab world, particularly to the Gulf, is where are you? Because they're making billions each day on oil revenues. A tiny fraction of those oil revenues would see our UN UNRWA's financial problems disappear overnight. This unconscionable gap inflicted by these Western countries will be filled very quickly. Some of the most desperate people in the Middle East are now facing starvation. They're facing famine and the Arab states need to step up to the plate. Uh, this does echo a lot of what my... Uh, Arab viewers have told me about their frustrations with other Arab countries. Like, let's just talk about Egypt. Egypt's Navy snipes Palestinians that ventured, quote unquote, too far out out to sea. Like they are part and parcel. They, they are they are they are linking arms with Israel in maintaining the siege on Gaza for their own. You know, I, I have we can have a whole conversation about Egypt's motivations. But um, and Egypt's not part of the Gulf. So we can specifically um, Chris here is talking about, you know, kind of focusing on the Gulf the most. But it should be said that there is some betrayal occurring. And this is not something that Palestinians are very, like, foreign to. They, they've experienced a lot of betrayal from, from, other, um, from other entities in the Arab world. And as I'm not Arab, I'm not going to speak too much about that. Maybe we'll, sometimes maybe we should have a guest on to discuss that because it's a very important conversation we had. But as an American, I can fully, with my full chest, say, fuck the USA. Yeah. And fuck the, fuck the UK as well, by the way. It's fuck the UK, yeah. Yeah. Um, note that prior to this, Israel has been bombarding, like bombing, massacring uh, UN buildings in Gaza and the people in those buildings. 
to which the Western and Gulf countries have apparently not taken any issue with. So uh, major concern for for Hamas potentially in out of tens uh, out of what thir- 12 13,000 12,000 yeah, uh, yeah. unra employees that's the biggest uh, uh ho- most horrible thing they've ever heard but if you straight up just bomb un buildings in gaza that apparently is n- just a, not a problem whatsoever the last thing that uh the last order that the icj courts uh demanded that israel comply with which is uh, is to preserve evidence of genocide and to submit a report to the ICJ within a month laying out how it is complying with these orders. Now, it hasn't been a month completely yet, but um, I'm just going to say LMAO, no, you're not doing this. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what is in the notes. They, 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 I just wrote LMAO, no. I'm not even going to fucking bother what I'm going to do. Like, look for evidence of their, like, I don't know. They're clearly not complying. They've completely ignored these what the ICJ is saying. They're fl- like basically they're just like kind of ramping up their genocide, which is was this, was explicitly um, said by South Africa is like a a a a a thing that could very well happen that they've seen this before, yeah. which is why these provisional measures need to be taken because that's that's what genociders do. They try to you know finish the job. I genuinely think that they've. uh, pivoted to this aid stuff because they think it's harder to prove genocide with not that they would care by the way i think i think that should be made obvious to everyone like israel will not care what any ruling is if they rule that they are doing genocide in gaza um they're not they're not gonna stop it They're, they're gonna continue with their plan this is their plan um and I think the reason that they've tried to pivot to this aid stuff is because it's harder to, because they do know that they're losing the media war. They're going to act belligerently still um, towards, uh, you know, uh, Palestinians. But I do think that they are very aware of the effect that this kind of action is having on the way that the Palestinian struggle is viewed worldwide. And I think that that is why they are trying to pivot to this, like, well, no, we should just attack the aid. If we focus on the aid and then everyone's going to talk about the aid, then no one's going to look at the bombings. No one's going to look at the white phosphorus. No one's going to look at the other stuff. No one's going to look at the, you know, the US and the UK backed planes coming over, you know? This is a pretty uh, tried and true uh, is Zionist propaganda method, which is to, like, distract with scandals you know um for instance claiming that hamas is orchestra or did orchestrate a mass rape campaign on october 7th and like just which by the way has zero evidence backing it (laughs) like it just not literally no evidence there's no there's there's no victims there's, there's there's actually far more evidence to point that Israel made that stuff up yeah, than there no, is 100%. that it happened. Yeah. And by the way, I should just say that if it ends up be, being true, uh, I take sexual violence extremely seriously uh, as both like a feminist and also like a victim of sexual violence. I wouldn't fall out of my chair if it turns out a member of Hamas raped, right? But it's the, it's the claims that Israel's making that are we're talking about a compulsive liar that has lied through its teeth since it was created and nearly everything it says is a lie to serve its interests to try to further you know occupy and genocide then 
saying, trust me, bro, this totally happened. And then just recycling a very, very anti-Arab Islamophobic uh, uh, trope, which is evil brown men raping pristine white women right, <laughs> right? like right. This, this is just I, I don't i'm sorry i don't believe you until you provide me with evidence and israel's provided nothing but you need to believe women and i just need to say believing women don't mistake that with believe israel so the u.s federal court acknowledged the icj ruling in a very kind of like, I want to say in a good way, <laughs> God forbid I say anything good is coming out of a U.S. court, but the U.S. federal court acknowledged the ICJ ruling. I'll tell you how they did that. So this is the latest development in the Defense for Children International Palestine versus Biden trial. So if you're not familiar, this trial began in November 13th, 2023, where Palestinian human rights organizations and together with individual Palestinians in Gaza and the U.S. filed a lawsuit in U.S. federal court against Biden, Secretary of State, uh, of State Blinken and Secretary of Defense Austin, basically the Biden administration, for the U.S. officials' failure to prevent and their complicity in the Israeli government's unfolding genocide against Palestinians, their families, and the 2.2, yeah, the 2.2 million, 2.3 million Palestinians in Gaza. So unfortunately, while the court did dismiss the case, on jurisdictional grounds recently, um, saying that the preferred outcome is inaccessible to the court. Um, and it found that it lacked power to resolve the case because it implicated executive decision-making in the area of foreign policy. It did affirm the ICJ's decision in an unprecedented win for pro-Palestinian advocacy. And I'll tell you what they said. They said, this is the court, the U.S. federal court said, both the uncontroverted testimony of the plaintiffs, the Palestinians, and the expert opinion proffered at the hearing on these motions, as well as statements made by various officers of the Israeli government, indicate that the ongoing military siege in Gaza is intended to eradicate a whole people and therefore plausibly falls within the international prohibition against genocide. The court also recognized the substantial role of the United States in furthering the genocide and noted that Quote, as the ICJ has found, it is plausible that Israel's conduct amounts to genocide, quote, and therefore, quote, the court implores the Biden administration to examine the results of their unflagging support of the military siege against the Palestinians in Gaza. The court also stated, quote, it is every individual's obligation to confront the Kurds siege in Gaza, end quote. While the plaintiffs' attorneys strongly disagree with the court's dismissal of the case, they also um, backed the court's conclusion about Biden's administration's complicity in genocide, saying, we urge the Biden administration to heed the judge's call to examine and end its deadly course of action. Which is pretty amazing that a U.S. federal court, and I, I don't know what's going to come of it, knowing the way that shit works, probably nothing, but it's pretty amazing that the u.s federal court is directly telling biden fucking stop you are a genocider and you need to you need to stop right now <laughs> it's really interesting and i think that the only thing that we could take from this is that this there this will be a record right this will be a record of his legacy as president um for the future i think that's the only thing that we can get excited about because of this you know what i mean it like also you said it also um, strikes me as like 
pretty, pretty phenomenal that like so pretty amazing, I should say, that so many liberals keep trying to stress that Biden is this like really nice guy. And like you can't you can't blame him for he's just the president when things are like messy and like war is blah, blah, blah. And this uniquely points out Biden and his administration as culpable. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate that because this isn't just a, yet another guy in power. Don't get me wrong. Like every war, every U.S. president's a fucking war criminal. But we're talking about like notably a war criminal, like a notable the 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 courts have notably like confirmed this. Um, I know that like Twitter is not uh, a great website to be on and it's definitely not a good platform, but I have really enjoyed being unbanned on there because I have seen some of the absolute liberal brainworms about this. Um, and some of them are really funny. Like, for example, today I saw someone saying that, hey, listen, I know that we don't have a great choice right now, but with Coca-Cola, I would always choose Diet Coke over full fat. And that's just so funny because Coca-Cola not only uh, supports Israel in the ethnic cleansing of, of Palestinians, uh, but it also sent death squads uh, to to Colombia, didn't it? Um, when they tried to unionize in the in the factory there, so you know, really just sort of highlighting, you know, that person really thought they were saying something, but what they actually did was highlighted the important of not um you know um <laughs> actually just not doing a choice and doing something different uh which is like boycott the entire thing right <laughs> also coke doesn't have fat in it i don't know if you're misremembering that or if they're or if they no this is that. this is what this person said in the tweet yeah anyways uh, yeah <laughs> normal <laughs> a few more a few more stories uh and then we we have to move on to yemen so um, there's, like I said in the beginning of this section, there is like an, just an, an, a, so much war, so many war crimes being committed by Israel. Like I can't, let me just tell you about some of the things that are also happening. Um, this actually happened in uh, Janine, which is a city in the West Bank, which is not in Gaza. Just to let you know, the genocide is also, Israel is also genociding Palestinians in the West Bank. Um, the ICJ focusing, the oh, South Africa focusing on on Gaza, in my opinion, is because it's much easier to prove genocide there than it is in the West Bank. But it should be said that there is absolutely geno- Israel's absolutely genociding Palestinians in the West Bank. If you take a second to even like look over there to see what's happening, for instance, Israeli forces disguised as medics raided a hospital in Janine and executed three Palestinian patients in their beds. Again, note that this is the West Bank. This is not Gaza. Also, every accusation is a fucking of a fucking confession for these motherfuckers. One of the victims was a Palestinian uh, man who was dis- in the hospital for four months after being paralyzed by missile fragments from an Israeli drone strike. Disguised Israelis shot him, quote, in the head at point blank range. But pro-Palestine protests continue. So I hope some of our, our, our listeners and our viewers are participating in these protests because it's really important that you get out there and scream about how this is absolutely horrendous and we need to, it needs to stop. Um, continue protests are happening all around the world. And what was really cool, I saw a video of U.S. Olympic marathon trials where uh, runners were holding Palestinian flags, which is really awesome to see. Uh Washington, D.C., there is protesters that shut down numerous major roads in protests against the genocide and for uh, Palestinian, you know, 
a free Palestine, which is pretty amazing. So I'm encouraging all of y'all to get out there and protest. If anything, it feels good to be around other people that give fucks because sometimes it can be real, feel really alienating and lonely. And kind of a last story, kind of an LMAO in a dark way, but LMAO. Nancy Pelosi, friend of the show, uh, wants the FBI to investigate pro-Palestine protesters. Why? Well, she insists Putin is orchestrating the pro-Palestine demonstrations and that demonstrators are Russian plants. Also, also note that the next day, when pro-Palestine protesters are outside Nancy Pelosi's house and and urging her to back a ceasefire. This is a ceasefire, by the way. This is this is just a fucking ceasefire. Nothing controversial. She yelled out when when getting into the backseat of her SUV, she yelled, go back to China where your headquarters is. Not our, by the way. Bad grammar. She's uh, she's real normal. She's being real normal. She's a real normal one. Yeah, she's... Yeah. She's great. Yeah. So not so pro-Palestine protesters are both Russian plants and also are Chinese, I guess, spies. Um, so I'm I'm Russian and Chinese, apparently, which is pretty big news to me. I think I think the reason that she's going with this line is because there have been officials from the the Chinese uh, Communist Party who have said that there should be a ceasefire. Uh, and also Putin has said that there should be a ceasefire. And it's like, here's the thing, you know, let's say, let's say that every pro-Palestine protest are filled with Russians and and Chinese, uh, you know, expats, you know, they're all getting informed from Russia and China and stuff like that. They would still be protesting for the right thing. They would still be asking for the correct thing to happen, um, which is that, there should be no more killing in Gaza. So what now? Like, what? 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 What's the? What's the? The grand? What's the big idea, Nancy? No, you have to see. It, it's an evil conspiracy to stop genocide. This is this is true. I'd forgotten about that. Um, yeah. Yeah, Putin. Putin, though. Putin. He's always he's always ruining things for the Democrats. Hitler, which is a it's a combination of Hitler and Putin. Hitler. <laughs> I saw that on a on a fucking house in my neighborhood, by the way. <laughs> cool. Very cool normal stuff from the US, as per usual. That that concludes our our uh, Palestine segments. Thank you for hanging in there. And um I want to remind you all that if you enjoy what you just heard, you enjoy a mule and and his wonderful, beautiful kafia and uh our, our friendship, because we are friends. Um, I want to remind you all that Red Planet is made possible by the direct support of our viewers. So please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash red underscore planet and become a patron today. You can be as, become a patron for as little as two bucks and we would immensely appreciate it. Um, and then we can feed our, our, our producer, Conrad. We can feed him his bucket of gruel. So, Yeah. So um, let's go into the main segments. The main segment we're going to be doing today is Mule and I, apart from being friends, because that's going to be a big part of today's segment, we're going to be friends while discussing the history of Yemen. So the Houthis in Yemen are in the news constantly at the moment for their anti-imperialist and anti-Zionist attacks. But lots of people here in that news don't actually know who they are or have any historical context or know about the historical context of politics or the politics of Yemen. 
And to save you a Wikipedia rabbit hole and reading a lot of Al Jazeera articles, we've compiled a brief history of Yemen and an explainer of the Houthi movement so you can understand the news about this group and their political context better. I'm very excited to learn about Yemen. I don't know much about it. Um, and uh, yeah, there's been a lot of interesting things that I've seen in the notes. Um, <clears throat> so I guess, um, you know, the the only thing, I guess I'll, uh, you know, we should start by saying like, you know, what, what we know or knew about Yemen before the recent support from uh, Ansar Allah, aka the Houthis. Um, I just knew that there was a famine. And it was the fault of the West. That's 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 literally all I knew. Um, I don't know if that's uh, similar to your knowledge of Yemen. Um, for me, my knowledge of of Yemen is uh, Arab country borders the Red Sea, um, one of the poorest countries, but showing up one of the hardest, arguably the hardest Arab country in terms of like like standing up for Palestine, which I deeply appreciate, but poor because of like the West effectively, <laughs> which tends to be the trend. Um, poverty. Where does it come from? Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's get started because, uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff here and neither me or, or Kira have read all of it. Um, so yeah, it's time for us to, to do some learning with all you wonderful listeners, uh, of our amazing show. So, uh, historical context of Yemen leading up to 20th century geographic locations effect on regional politics. So Yemen is, as Kira said, on the Arabian Peninsula, south of Saudi Arabia, and with coasts on the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden. Its position has been a vital part of sea trade for thousands of years. This is because Aden, the capital and exile of Yemen, is a port that connects Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. For an idea of the significance of Aden during the World War II, New York was the only a busier port in the entire world. Uh, and capital and exile here means where the government recognized by international bodies operates from. Sana'a is the capital, but it is under Houthi control, and we'll get to that. Control of Yemen and the port of Aden in particular has been a goal of various contesting colonial and imperial powers since at least the 15th century with the Portuguese, the Ottomans, the British, the Ottomans again, and now the American Empire. And of course, the British again, playing major parts in the politics of Yemen over the last few hundred years. Despite the trade through Aden, Yemen has been a very poor country for a very long time, currently the poorest in the Arab world and the country with the least access to clean water. And the way the country has been controlled has varied between total control in one area known as Greater Yemen, regional divisions, foreign powers controlling the cities and religious figures controlling the rest of the country and other splits. To get an idea of how empires tend to view Yemen, here's a quote from the Ottoman governor of Egypt when he was ordered to capture it. Yemen is a land with no lord, an empty province. It would be not only possible, but easy to capture. And should it be captured, it would be master of the lands of India and send every year a great amount of gold and jewels to Constantinople. So, yeah, just basically, you know, talking about the economic benefit of occupying uh, Yemen and also doing the same kind of stuff that Israel does to Palestine, saying that there's no, no, no land there. There's no, there's no people. There's no culture kind of thing. Up for grabs. It's up for grabs. Yeah. 
Uh, despite this impression, empires have repeatedly had their shit clapped trying to conquer and hold Yemen, in part because of the mountainous terrain of the highlands, and in part because this impression that Yemen is a land with no lord came from the independence and individual sovereignty of different Zaidi tribes within Yemen, who despite their differences were historically very good at uniting to resist foreign powers. So I think that's a really uh, important thing to focus on. You know, this is, a, again, kind of like something similar, I want to say, to to Myanmar, where you got, like, the military junta, um, reactionary, want to do genocide, all that kind of stuff, um, kind of, like, stuck in imperial colonialist uh, attitudes. And then you have, like, all the various different rebel groups who are resisting that. And despite their, their differences, they're coming together to, like, fight this greater evil. Um, so very similar in a lot of, like, anti-colonialist um, uh, struggles all, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that, like, uh, you know, this this kind of makes sense. You know, whenever, whenever now I hear, like, thanks to my education... Uh, not just while doing this show, but also like in activism and speaking to people who, uh, do activism surrounding, uh, you know, anti-imperialist stuff. It, 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 whenever I hear of a country like Yemen that has the, the history of Yemen in terms of like, you know, oh, well, well, I just knew it was a poor country and they had a famine. Uh, I'm just always going like, yeah, that's probably to do with colonialism. Um, and so yeah, this, this, <laughs> This just confirms that, right? <laughs> so, uh, Kira, do you want to tell us about um, some further info regarding the, the Shia and Sunni Islam split? Yeah, sure. So if you're wondering what Zaidi means, it's going to be relevant to take a little detour to talk about the biggest division in Islam between the Sunni and Shia Muslims. Uh, there are various differences in the practices and beliefs of Sunni and Shia Muslims. And historically, the split originated with the question of who would succeed the Prophet Muhammad. So there's a whole thing there, but just know that according to most estimates, about 90% of the Muslim population of the world are Sunni, about 10% are are Shia, although Shia Muslims are a majority in Iran, Iraq, Azerbaijan, and Bahrain. So in Yemen, between about 25 and 30% of the population are Shia, and mostly Zaidi, a branch of Shia Islam that originated in 740 A.D., Zaidi Islam is often considered the most similar form to Shia, a form of Shia to Sunni Islam. And despite the tensions between Sunni and Shia Muslims, there have been historically good relations between Zaidi Shia Muslims and Shafi'i Sunni Muslims, the most popular form of Sunni Islam in Yemen. The first Zaidi Imam came to Yemen in 897 AD, and the sect has been a prominent part of Yemeni history ever since, with the Zaidi Imamate existing in Yemen from 897 until 1962 in one form or another. To put it quite simply, Zaidism is a very important part of Yemeni national identity. So as as with any time you try to make statements about like thousand years of history, all at once, it's actually not easy to do because that's a lot of history. So it's going to be pretty complicated. There have been times when Zaidi uh, imams have led the tribes to defend Yemeni sovereignty. And there have been times when they've been oppressive rulers. And there have been times where they were just kind of in the wrong place when some much more powerful neighbor wanted them out of the way, which brings us to the coup d'etat of 1962 and the North Yemen civil war. So, 1962 civil war 
the Muta Wakalite, I think I'm saying that completely wrong, but Muta, Muta Wakalite, Wakalite uh, Kingdom of Yemen, or just the Kingdom of Yemen, existed as a state from 1918 and was the final continuous form of the Zaidi Imamate. In 1962, the Imam and also King Mohammed al-Badir was deposed by a coup backed by NASA, the not the not the space, uh, not NASA, not the U.S. space uh, organization. Actually, N-A-S-S-E-R. That's the guy's name, NASA, um, the Arab socialist leader of Egypt. For the reasons stated above, 1,000 years of Zaidi Yemeni history, this is arguably a really bad example of socialist interventionism because it's trying to overthrow the nascent culture of the people in favor of what a socialist country thinks will be good for them. There was even another coup being plotted at the time within Yemen that wanted to get rid of al-Badir, but not get rid of the Zaidi imamate. So I think that's a really important point. That's a, that's like, you know, a lot of the time, the mistakes of uh, socialism in the 20th century were definitely uh, based around this this bad understanding of uh, culture and, and, and what people, uh, you know, what the people in those countries actually wanted. Um, and if there was any amount of on the ground discussion or uh, diplomacy attempted with, uh, you know, various groups there, then there could could have been a much more, um, I guess, positive support supplied, uh, whether that be with aid, weapons, whatever, um, to actually like, <clears throat> you know, uh, get the help the people get what they wanted, um, you know, and uh, and and I guess spread the word of socialism and and you know the goodness of socialism that way. However, uh, Egypt poured troops into the ensuing conflict and fought on the side of the Yemen Arab Republic with support from the Soviet Union. On the other side, the royalists fought alongside troops from Saudi Arabia with support from our friend Israel and Jordan and Iran, Pakistan and Britain. The Yemen Arab Republic was victorious in the end despite the war being absolutely disastrous for Egypt. It's actually pretty ironic because NASA was trying to get rid of al-Badir to spread Arab socialism and the state of North Yemen that ended up forming wasn't socialist, but there was actually a simultaneous revolution in British-controlled Aden and the rest of Yemen, which formed the state of South Yemen or the People's Democratic Republic of Yemen. Let's fucking go! (laughs) So, yeah. Let's talk about the ML Republic of Yemen from 1967 to 1990. So at the same time as the civil war in North Yemen that formed the Yemen Arab Republic, there is also an uprising against the British by a Marxist group called the National Liberation Front, the NLF, and a nationalist militant group called the Front for Liberation of Occupied South Yemen, which is flossy. The British declared a state of emergency in 1963 and brought down the force of the empire on Yemeni rebels using the raft to set fire to the entire Radfen Hills area in 1964, which was where the NLF had a lot of its support. So technically, Britain has been doing airstrikes in Yemen for 61 years. The NLF was too radical for Nasser and the Egyptians, so Nasser gave support to the Flossy nationalists, but in 1967, Nasser lost the Six-Day War and couldn't spare the military support anymore, leading Flossy to be defeated by the NLF relatively soon after, and the People's Democratic Republic of Yemen was born. 
as a side note, it's really interesting to like discuss this history because a lot of the Egyptian history um, and a lot of these like these these Marxist groups also and, and these like socialist interventions also have a lot to do with Palestine's history and the resistance, the history of resistance in Palestine. So it, it's it's really neat to 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 learn like all all these like. I don't want to say smaller stories because they're all kind of part of one bigger one, but it's 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 always pretty interesting to be like, oh yeah, I know that guy, I know that Nasser guy, yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really important. We we definitely in the West amongst the left um, do not appreciate the struggles um, that the left had in uh, you know in the Middle East. I, I think that like that's definitely very overlooked. Um, you know, you'll find that not even people are aware of certain contemporary things like the Rojava um, in northeastern Syria, um, who are basically like a, a bunch of Kurds who are like, you know, women led um, anarchist communist. And they've been like, you know, they, they basically single handedly destroyed ISIS. Um, and they also like, you know, are resisting a genocide from Turkey, like all the time. And I just think that like, you know, people just don't, people just don't, people, especially white people in, in the West, like they just see brown people with guns and they go, ah, they're probably bad. Right. And it's just, it's just so racist. It's so annoying. So I, I think it's, I think it's really good to like, you know, learn about this stuff for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the People's Democratic Republic of Yemen existed for about 23 years and it was supported by Cuba, East Germany, North Korea, and the Soviet Union and was run through local representative people's councils headed by the Supreme People's Council. Women were made equal to men under the law and arranged marriages and child marriage was abolished. Education, health, and welfare programs were introduced and people in South Yemen were guaranteed a basic universal, universal basic living standard. East Germany sent a bunch of Stasi officers to train secret police, which sucks, but also to create an arms trafficking route to Palestine, which fucks. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Critical support to the Stasi there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, People's Democratic Republic of Yemen started to fall apart in 1986 when factions within the ruling party, the Yemen Socialist Party, fought a short but very deadly civil war making the state politically unstable. Relations between North Yemen and South Yemen had been relatively good throughout the People's Democratic Republic of Yemen's existence with talks towards unification ongoing the whole time. And since the People's Democratic Republic of Yemen was the largest state and contained the port of Aden, it seemed fairly clear that they would be the bigger party in the unification and fold North Yemen into them. But after the Civil War... And the destabilization, the tables turned. And when unification finally happened in 1990, the right to private property was established. But on the other hand, Yemen was one country again for the first time in literally centuries. So pretty bittersweet. When the new Republic of Yemen was formed in 1990, Ali Salim al-Baid, who was the leader of the People's Democratic Republic of Yemen, became the vice president and the president was the leader of North Yemen, Ali Abdullah Saleh. Oh, I know this guy. Saleh had been president of North Yemen since 1978. And understanding a bit more about Saleh helps us understand the next three decades of Yemeni politics. And in particular, the rise of the Houthis. There you go. 
There you go. So now we're going to talk about Ali Abdullah Saleh. Uh, he was born to a poor family in the vicinity of Sana'a, uh, the capital of Yemen, in 1947. In 1958, at the age of 11, he joined the North Yemen military. And at the age of 15, he took part in the 1962 coup to remove King al-Badr that we mentioned earlier. When I was 15, I was just like smoking weed and playing in bands. Uh, cringe. But anyway, as we <laughs> let's move on. By the age of 22, Saleh had risen to the rank of major, and sometime in the 70s, he met the then president of North Yemen, Ahmed al-Gashmi, who is described as Saleh's mentor. Saleh was never seen as particularly religious despite fighting with jihadist and devout Islamic militants throughout his career. It seems that he saw Islamic militants as a force and a political and military tool in the region more than anything. But we'll get there. In 1977, al-Gashmi appointed Saleh as the leader of a large coastal governorate in western Yemen called Taiz. Then in 1978, a year later, al-Gashmi went to meet an envoy, the president of the PDRY, which had a briefcase for him supposedly containing a secret message. But the secret message was, you're dead, because the briefcase exploded and killed al-Gashmi. Incidentally, the president of the PDRY was executed in a coup three days later after the explosion killed Al-Gashmi. Saleh was appointed to a four-man provisional presidential council and then elected by the North Yemen parliament to the presidency, making him the head of both the government and the military. Although the narrative for a long time was that the assassination of al-Gashmi had been set up by an explosive expert from the Yemeni Socialist Party and the PDRY, there is one source who claims that Ali al-Shatir confessed to him personally as having actually set the explosives. Al-Shatir was a major general and a head of the Moral Guidance Department in the Yemeni army, and he was extremely close to Ali Abdullah Saleh for decades. Alex Jones voice, do your own research, etc. Um, Saleh was president of the of North Yemen for 12 years. After that, filing his administration with family members and loyal supporters at every level and strengthening ties between North Yemen and Western powers by bringing Yemen into the global oil trade. In the 1980s, he created his own political party, the General People's Congress, GPC, and after unification in 1993, the Republic of Yemen held its first parliamentary election. Although the GPC were outnumbered in total by seats that supported socialism and Yemeni autonomy, they were, they were split between different parties, and so with 122 of the 301 seats, the GPC became the ruling party. This led pretty quickly to another civil war in 1994, in which South Yemen and the Yemeni Socialist Party seceded and formed the Democratic Republic of Yemen, like the PDRY, but it wasn't recognized by international bodies, but the DRY was crushed by Saleh's military very quickly. This swift military victory was made possible in part by jihadists from Egypt that were active in South Yemen at the time to, to which Saleh's security forces turned a blind eye. This fits into a long, long, long pattern of Saleh allying with or tacitly supporting Islamic forces. For instance, after 9-11, he explicitly joined in on America's war on terror, but it has been alleged that Saleh directly supported al-Qaeda in Yemen while asking for more money from America to ca help catch terrorists including one instance in 2006 where al-Qaeda convicts escaped, in quotes, Yemeni prison. 
an Al-Qaeda operative who became an informant, alleged the same. Hani Mohammed Mujahid, 38, told Al Jazeera that many Al-Qaeda leaders were under the complete control of Ali Abdullah Saleh. Ali Abdullah Saleh turned Al-Qaeda into an organized criminal gang. He was not only playing with the West, he was playing with the entire world. Just like Max said in Always Sunny, I'm playing both sides so that I always come out on top. Saleh repeatedly passed motions that extended his own term limits throughout the 2000s with a brief minute in 2005 where he pretended he wasn't going to run again in the election, but then he said that the public demanded that he run like, oh no, oh shit, they're going to make me be president again. Oh well, but in reality, there was a growing dissatisfaction with his brutal rule, his suppression of political enemies and his relationship with the West. And during the Arab Spring protests, when they broke out and Saleh was ousted from office in 2012. And finally, this brings us to the Houthis. Thank you, Mule. Um, we haven't talked about the Zaydis in a second. Um, basically, since the 1962 coup that removed King Al-Badir, what happened to them? Well, for the same reasons that they had already survived a thousand years of imperial conquests, the Zaydi tribes didn't just disappear. The Zaydis remain powerful in their historic stronghold of Saada, just south of Saudi of the Saudi Yemeni border, and the rest of the Yemeni government found it consistently difficult to hold any power in the Saada governance. Hussein Ba Reddin Al Houthi was a Zaydi religious leader born in 1959 in Saada, who took a small took a part in a very small fringe religious political party called the Truth Party which there is next to no reporting about, except that it was a Zaidi party that wanted to promote Shia Islam. It only ever won two seats in the Yemeni parliament, and its support of South Yemen independence caused al-Houthi to flee the country and stay in Iran for some time. After he returned to Yemen, he became extremely vocal on Saleh's government being imperialist stooges, accusing them of financial corruption, and of putting the interests of America and Saudi Arabia over the interests of Yemeni people. This led Saleh to start claiming al-Houthi was a fake religious leader, trying to set himself up as an imam and essentially start a new Zaidi uh, Zaidi kingdom. Part of these accusations may be probably fair, but considering al-Houthi was a very real religious leader and devout Shia Muslim, and Shia and Saleh had repeatedly manipulated Muslims for political gain. This didn't do Saleh any favors. So in 2004, Saleh put out a $55,000 bounty on Al Houthi, later raising it to $75,500. And fighting broke out between Al Houthi's group Ansar Allah, colloquially known as the Houthis, and the government and government forces in the Saada governance. Hussein al-Houthi was killed in late 2004, but this only galvanized the Houthis further. And you can make the argument that killing uh, Hussein al-Houthi was like very, very foolish because uh, Zaidism's founding story is literally of their religious leader. Um, Is Imam Zaid dying in a hopeless rebellion against an unjust caliphate? So making a martyr out of al-Houthi was probably not the best idea if you're trying to, you know eliminate his influence. The Yemeni government and lots of Western media have alleged that the Houthis are funded and directed by Iran, one of the world's only Shia Muslim government, governments. 
It seems somewhat likely that Iran does financially support the Houthis, but not that it directs or controls their actions. And we discussed a similar, similar, uh, you know, we discussed that relationship earlier in the news with Iran's influence as like the effective leader of the axis of resistance. After Hussein's death, his brother, Abdul Malik al-Houthi, became the political and military leader of the group and their father, Badreddin al-Houthi, became the spiritual and religious leader. In 2005, Saleh's government offered the Houthis a presidential pardon if they surrendered, but the Houthis rejected it, and the fighting between the Houthis continued on and off for the next six years, with more anti-government forces joining the Zaidi militants. In 2011, during the Arab Spring, protests against Saleh's government reached a boiling point, and the Houthis declared their support for a pro-democracy reorganization and removal of Saleh with large Houthi blocs present at all of the large pro-democracy protests. In March 26 that year, the Houthis officially declared that the Saada government was independent and under their political control. With al-Qaeda, who are Sunni, still active in Yemen, as fighting spread across the region, the Houthis were frequently hostile to Sunni Muslims and vice versa, although many Sunni Muslims also fought with them for the regime change. Salafi militants in al-Qaeda continued in persecution of Shia Muslims, with al-Qaeda targeting both Houthi fighters and Shia Muslims attending prayer with car bombs and suicide bombers. Should be noted that Salafi is a branch of like hyper-conservative Sunni Islam that supports the implementation of Quranic literalist hyper-reactionary law. After months of fighting and protests, a presidential election was held in February of 2012 with a huge turnout, with it where the new president, Abdraba Mansur al-Hadi won 99.8% of the vote and Saleh finally left office after 33 years. The fighting across this period between Houthis and Salafis had killed 200 people. While most of the political activity had been in large-scale protests, marches, and demonstrations against the government. Over the next few years, the new president, Al-Hadi, became extremely unpopular as he continued Salah's legacy, did not think about the fuel prices, which were a huge focus of the protests that had seen Salah deposed, and failed to stop the Houthis. In late 2014, the Houthis reached the capital city of Sana'a, and their political jurisdiction covered roughly the whole region that had formerly been North Yemen slash the Kingdom of Yemen. This was the beginning of the currently ongoing Yemeni civil war. And Mule, could you tell me more about that? Yes, I can. Civil war. Here we go. Um, In this civil war, the sides are broadly between the Houthis in the northwest and the Republic of Yemen in the rest of the country. The Houthis control the Yemeni capital, Sana'a, while the Republic of Yemen controls the port of Aden, to which al-Hadi fled after he was deposed. The Republic of Yemen is supported by Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, and eight other countries in the region directly with troops and otherwise supported by the US, UK, France, Canada, and South Korea. There is also a non-aligned region and a small region controlled by AQAP, Al-Qaeda, in the Arabian Peninsula. Ali Abdullah Saleh wasn't done trying to grab all the power he could, of course, and so in early 2015, he tried to pull the same trick again, one last time, by declaring that he was going to ally with the Houthis. 
Saleh's supporters worked with the Houthis to capture Sana'a, at which point Saleh had said that he was done working with the Houthis and was going to ally with Saudi Arabia and Al-Hadi instead. Again, like Max said in Sunni, I'm always playing, I'm playing both sides so I can always come out on top. But this time, playing both sides didn't help Saleh. And in 2017, his supporters were defeated by the Houthis and Saleh himself was killed by a Houthi sniper. After capturing the capital, the Houthis set up the Supreme Revolutionary Committee, which over the next two years carefully managed the transition of power and established the Supreme Political Council. It is unclear whether this is any kind of of reference to the PDRY's Supreme People's Council, though the Houthi territory doesn't explicitly claim any kind of socialist ideology. So what are the Houthi's policies? Do you want to take a little look uh, at this for us, Kira? Uh, their politics? Sure. And I, I will say that the Saleh guy seems like a nightmare to date. Can you yeah. imagine? Yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably no good. <laughs> flip-floppy motherfucker okay <laughs> <laughs> this next section largely comes from a newsweek article rise of the houthis so the scream is the houthis calling card which is a phrase translated from al sarqa in arabic proclaiming death to america death to israel damn the jews victory to islam it is usually more of a clarion call than a threat especially when followed with this large smile and a belly laugh by the screamer so it was first shouted by Hussein al-Houthi in the ancient Grand Mosque of Sana'a in 2004. And it was the scream that started the multiple wars of the Yemeni government against the Houthis. Despite the Arabic words, adherents tend to claim it is to call attention to the governments of the West, never to harm individuals. The Houthis have never attacked anything of Western interest and in fact have a common enemy with America, al-Qaeda. Uh, we really do not really want death to anyone, said Ali al-Bukhayti, the former spokesperson and official media face of the Houthis, during an interview last September. The slogan is simply against the interference of those governments, which is pretty consistent with much of the much of the language used by anti-imperialists like uh, Arab entities, I should say, Arab, like not not even specifically Arab, like uh, imperial periphery. Let's just say imperial periphery, especially in the Middle East, to say death to blank. Yeah, it is always funny to see liberals freak the fuck out over that language, though. <laughs> the Yemen Times sat down this and this is uh, an article that we're quoting right now. Um let me see if we can link it in the chats from the YemenTimes.com. So Yemen Times sat down with Hussein al-Bukhaiti, a self-described Houthi activist who is familiar with the inner workings of the group. He's confident that the Houthis have done well since entering Sana'a. When security forces disappeared, he said, they filled in their ranks, successfully ensuring the security of Sana'a's residents. They also removed, quote, two main sources of terrorism in the capital, quote, which two, Al-Bukhaidi, were Ali Mossen and the Imam University. Iman University, excuse me. Given Yemen's, Yemen's religious composition, Al-Bukhaidi does not think that the Iranian system could ever be implemented in the country. Neither do the Houthis have any interest in bringing back the imamates. Instead, he describes the Zaidi doctrine as Republican and the Houthi group as liberal. So some say the Houthis strive to bring back the imamate. What do you think of that? 
they always say that this is the secret agenda of Ansar Allah, which is the the name of the Houthis, like the what they name themselves. Look at the NDC outcomes. Ansar Allah said Yemen is a republic and the elections are the way to reach power. They also said women have the right to hold any position, even that of the president. Their vision was so civil in comparison to other parties. Ansar Allah was liberal and open more than any other party in the NDC. Hmm. So let us put Ansar Allah to the test. Returning to the imam's rule is absolutely unacceptable. We have never talked about this. Even Abdullah Malik al-Houthi himself said the Saidi doctrine is Republican. There you go. So that's it. That's what we're up to um, up to now, essentially. Um, and yeah, it's kind of one of those things, right? It's like, you know, if you have if you have a faction that is resisting imperialism, resisting colonialism and stuff like that, um, but they say some problematic stuff, yeah, cool. I think it's important to point out that problematic stuff, like, but if that problematic stuff turns you into a vile war hawk uh, who wants to see them completely ended and genocided in the same way you want to see other uh, marginalized groups uh, genocided, then uh, I think you you got you got some uh, issues with your politics. Maybe um, <clears throat> I think um, I think it's been really a really really good uh, bit of learning that. Um, I had absolutely no idea about the history of Yemen in, in that way in particular. And I think that, um, you know, it makes a, a lot of sense why, um, you know, people are describing, um, you know, the, the, the Houthis and Ansar Allah as like the actual, uh, control, like the, the actual party, the, the, the rulers of Yemen or, or representative of the people or whatever. Um, I think that like, again, like going back to, to sort of like a really intense, uh, rule like you know oppressive rule by um uh the, the you know the imam is uh yeah it's it's gonna fuck people up right it's gonna fuck people up um and yeah i think that i think that again you can uh you can see why they support the palestinian struggle you can see uh why um you know the uh, 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 the Houthis are, are constantly trying to like you know help the Palestinians liberate themselves. Um, it just makes sense. Like it just it just makes sense. Um, it, if, it is if, very it is very frustrating though to see how much they've like they're putting themselves out there like physically like like monetarily et cetera et cetera to stand up for Palestinians. And doing so in a way that apparently I don't it's it's amazing how the West still has a fucking issue with it. I mean, I understand why they do, because it's the West and they care about capital above all and power. Um, and so the Houthis are directly threatening that. But it is very frustrating to see how much this extremely poor country and um people that are dealing with a civil war are still stepping up to do what they can to help Palestinians in a very profound, direct way that is getting results, like massively getting results versus other countries that are not doing that. Um, like Gulf countries, for instance. Yeah, the, there's there's barely any... Which have way more money and, and influence for the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, there's barely any actions um, being done 
in in any other surrounding country like there are there are, i think there are some activists in egypt but like egypt is pretty like has got has got a lot of shit on lock surrounding palestine because it's it's so close um but uh nothing like to the extent of what uh you know uh yemeni houthis are, are, are doing um you've also got like the opportunity to do so many things in a lot of ways there as well like if you if you were to like um actually like help people get liberated um from palestine in 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 a way that was like you know pretty decent you could you could try and do something like open the rafa crossing do you know what i mean you could like uh protest at the rafa crossing i know there have been lots of protests at the rafa crossing but like actual direct action where uh you know we're not shooting uh palestinians who want to like swim swim around or like use the sea uh which is their sea um you know to 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 escape the genocide and stuff like that uh because again you know there are, there are people who do not want to flee gaza because that's their right and it's their land and they don't want to they don't want to leave there um and there are some people who want to flee and that's their right they should have that right they should have that freedom of movement um and I, that's just kind of like one thing that I could think of. Like, if there's some way that you could, like, you know, do the, uh, uh, um, uh, do some kind of uh, positive direct action if you're in Egypt, kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. It's just very. Oof. I'm just solid critical support. Critical support for 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 the Houthis' resistance against the continued occupation and genocide of Palestine. Um, I'm really sorry. My cat is just like in a place where he cannot be. That's right. You have a cat. Yeah, get, 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 get this is a relatively there. new uh, development for a Mule. Yeah, I know I'm this sorry. because I'm his friend, and I friends know <laughs> about each other's cat situations. And I know my friend Mule didn't have a cat, but now he does have a cat. I did. I did not have a cat, and now I do. Uh, The cat's great. Thanks for asking. Yeah, if if we're gonna do this, yeah, he's he's doing really well. He's got fleas, um, and um, he we suspect he might have fleas. He's got fleas, even though he's an inside cat and has never been outside in his entire life. Apparently, don't know how that's possible. Um, but you gonna do a, a flea shampoo or whatever? So, um, the the vet said, and, and I agree with this because, like, cats like they're super traumatized. Uh, you probably know this, Kira, but like animals have like a very lower threshold for trauma than than humans. Um, so like any kind of like stuff like that, like for example, like he he pooped on himself today, and I had to wipe him down, and that definitely traumatized him he was not down for that even though like it would have made him sick it would have made us sick or whatever he pooped on himself yeah he pooped on himself you really gotta get out of there buddy you're gonna give yourself an electric shock uh cool that this is happening right now um yeah um and um he didn't poop on himself in like a weird way he just pooped on himself in the way that like any kind of you know, yeah, the way that we all poop on ourselves. Exactly. Everyone's pooped on themselves. Exactly. Don't, don't hoity-toity in front of me. Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. Which one, who among us has not pooped themselves? Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, he's doing okay. And uh, he got like his dewormer. And uh, for fleas, he's got this like, they got this like pipette thing that you have to like put on the back of their head so that they can't lick it off. 
Um, and so I did that the other day, uh, but he's definitely like way more active immediately after like, I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried to crush up his dewormer tablet and put that in his food, but he just did not, he was not down for that. So I had to get him in a towel and get it in the back of his mouth so he would eat it. And it's like, it just feels so horrible because it's like, you're, you're, you're hurting them, but you know, it's like a, they need it. So I was literally, I think about this all the time. I thought about this today because I was uh, moving the, I was staying at my friend's place for the past few days and I uh, brought the bunnies over because he set up, my friend set up a whole room for him. For the bunnies. Yeah, it was really sweet. So I could like spend more time there without panicking because otherwise I'm like, I just have to keep going home every, you know, I just, I don't want to leave them. It's terrifying. Um, But in an effort for me to like, have some semblance of mental health and like social life of some sort, be able to hang off my friend and like, you know, kind of try to, you know, the whole thing we were talking about earlier. Um, I'm like, I want to bring my, bring my bunny so I can make sure I take care of them, make sure they're, they're all taken care of, but they don't know that. They just think I'm an asshole. Who's just like moving them and just like putting them on a bumpy car ride, then dumping them in a room that they're like, what the fuck is this broom? It's not even as big as the other room I was in. And like, it smells different. And there's cats outside meowing and like climb at the door. It's just like, and then I pick them up, put them in a carrier and bring them back home. And they're just like, Ruffian is so mad at me. He's so mad at me right now. And I'm like, I can't explain it to you, bud. I feel so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you got to get out of there, buddy. Oh, God. I'm realizing these headphones are going to go too because Ruffian chewed on them. Anyways, um, homework is, you know what? Homework, just be nice to somebody. I like that. It's not very, it's not very relevant or it is relevant, but it's not very uh, specific, but you know what? Be nice to somebody. Find someone and, uh, you know, if, if, if they're nice to you uh, and they've not done anything horrible to you, then uh, yeah, be nice to them because it's nice to be nice. Um, But at this juncture, it is extremely important to mention that we are a show and our show uh, you know, needs you to be nice to us, and you are nice to us. If you want to do your homework right now, <laughs> you want to be a go getter, be an extra, extra, get an extra gold star. Then you can, you can go to Red Planet on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash red underscore planet, and you can support us from as little as £2 a month to as much as £85 a month. And we're going to go through all those options right now, aren't we, Kira? Yes, we are, Mule. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the first the first way that you could support us on patreon.com forward slash red underscore planet is with Sprite Mode. It's £2 a month, and you can get started with your support for Red Planet by becoming a Sprite. And benefits include... The sacred and forbidden knowledge that you are helping the Red Planet team, early access to VODs, and access to the Red Planet Discord. Wow, that would be really, really cool. Um, But there's another tier and another mode that you could go into and support us with, and Kira's going to tell us about that now. Yeah, that's called Goblin Mode. For $10 a month, or I guess £8.50, or something like that. I believe. Yes. All right. Everyone loves a goblin. We all get a little goblin mode from time to time. Complete your gobology by going goblin mode with 
everything from Sprite Mode, a cool or pack of cool Red Planet stickers for you to stick in legal places and only places like that, and access to the Red Planet exclusive Red Planet Discord hangouts, which we need to have one of those soon. Yeah, we should. We should try and organize one. Me and me and Tim, me and Tim need to um, watch the end of Zeitgeist and um the end of zeitgeist i know yeah because we only get we we went through so much of it and we spoke about so much of it it ended up being like three hours and we only got through half halfway through the the documentary well it's not a documentary it's conspiracy theory nonsense (gasps) oh how dare you i know yeah i know um so basically that's that's that so we need to do that and then me and kira we should do one uh and hopefully me and kira uh and tim as well yeah, um, that'd be fun. Organized, so we're gonna get one organized in February. Uh, but after Goblin Mode, we got Beast Mode. Holy shit! Are you actually gonna go Beast Mode? It's seventeen pound a month or twenty dollars a month. Uh, and it, it, holy shit! Are you are you actually gonna go Beast Mode? Well, then we can offer you all the stuff from the lower tiers and pin badges yeah pin badges wear your excellent new red planet pin badge literally everywhere it's completely good and cool and good to do so and i gotta get this cat out of this room immediately oh thank you mule i appreciate that um but if you want to go even harder than that if you want if you want to go even harder and you're disgusting you're kind of a, a you're you're maybe what we call sick you're a sick fuck right then you're gonna so want to go you're going to want to go sicko mode for $100 a month or 85 pounds. Yes. <laughs> um, If you support us this much, we can only really reasonably offer you all of the stuff from the Lord tiers, plus a very special thank you message at the end of every stream. So JBP, Maryland Starfire, Queen Pib, Cassie Tastrophe, and Risk Inverse. Thank you to our sickos for supporting us. You're filthy. The worst. Some of the some of the worst, disgusting, nasty, uh, wonderful people. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderfully, wonderfully sick. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The cat thinks it's a game now. The cat thinks me shutting him out of the room is a game and he's opening the door and enjoying it. It's good, though. It's good, though, because he knows basically what it is, is I got him a new toy because with cat toys, you're supposed to, like, activate their predator instincts. And so, like, I got him, like, a special toy that's got, like, actual, like, bird feathers on it or, like, I think they might be fake. I'm not sure about it. Um, But, like, when, when I got him that toy... I've never seen anything like it. He was like hissing at it and everything. And like, he really wanted to fucking kill it. Um, and uh, he really loves it. So what he's doing by annoying me, he knows that this works. He's annoying me on purpose so that I'll play with him with that. And then we finish like the cycle of him, like hunting the cat, uh, hunting the thing and, and killing it and finish that with like food. So that's, that's what he wants. Um, but, you know, apart from my cat, I want to know, Kira, where I can find out more about my friend, my real friend. She's We're friends. My friend, Kira, she's coming to England uh, to see me, my friend, just to see me on my own. No one else. Literally just me. Uh, where can I find out more ab- about her? 
Well, uh, you can find out more. You can find me other than England someday soon, hopefully. Um, you can find me in my link tree. So linktra.ee slash Kira Chats. Uh, all my links are in there. I am streaming on YouTube right now, but I think I'm going to start getting back to it this week because I'm just getting so weirded out by not streaming. Also money. Do you know you need money to live? Kind of sucks. I hate it, but you need it. So I'll be probably streaming this week um, on my YouTube. So just Kira Chats on YouTube. And you can follow me on Twitter, although I don't really use Twitter anymore. It's also Kira Chats. My blue sky is kirachats.bsky.social. Um, but the main places you can find me, it's my Discord and Blue Sky and also my YouTube when I start streaming again this week. Um, so my Discord is Kira Chats, or sorry, discord.gg slash Kira Chats. I'm very, very active there. It's kind of embarrassing. Like I need to get a life. But where can I find my friend Mule? Other than Manchester area, sort of. That's the Manchester area. I'm all, all over Manchester area. That's where you can find me. You are me. Manchester. That's amazing. I am. It's true. That's why it's called Manchester, because <laughs> I'm a man and I have a chest. Um, true. It's That's, true. Wow, the etymology is amazing. Whoa. Uh, you can find me on linktra.ee forward slash DJ Mule. That's DJ M-U-E-L. Uh, what's going on with me? Well, my new video is going to be coming out very soon, possibly tomorrow, maybe the day after. Depends on which I get done after the show tonight. All I've got to do is like a little bit, but it's basically, as I said at the start of the show, uh, it's about AI and it's about how, uh, being a creative under capitalism is not too great. And that's maybe why AI exists. Um, so yeah, if you want to hear an absolutely bizarre, uh, brain poisoned take uh making everything political um even though i agree that everything is uh political then uh, check out my youtube channel it's youtube.com forward slash c forward slash dj m-u-e-l um or i think you can at me on youtube i don't know i think it's like at dj m-u-e-l all one word um and yeah so that should be out either tomorrow or the day after but if you're a patreon supporter of mine supporting a, a 10 pound or above you will get access to that video 24 hours before it goes out so if that's something that you want to be interested in have a chance of seeing that early before everybody else either tonight or tomorrow night then head on over to my patreon uh it's patreon.com forward slash dj m-u-e-l and subscribe at 10 pound or above but there are also other options you could su support me from from two pound and five pound as well there are other benefits to that you can check them out there as i said i was unbanned on twitter you can get me uh you know what watch my posting sickness uh uh you know develop it, it happened as soon as i was unbanned that's at dj mule underscore but I'm also on Blue Sky. I'm also on TikTok. I'm also on Instagram. I'm on all the places. You can get me all over there. And let's not forget our co-host who isn't here because he's away doing base stuff that I'm sure he's going to talk about next week. Uh, it's our Tim, and he's at linktra.ee forward slash dread conquest you can get him on twitter you can get him on twitch you can check out some of his amazing youtube videos which are timeless uh and you can go find that on youtube at conquest of dread these videos are so cool really 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 cool i'm like oh my god i'm friends with that guy what the hell <laughs> why is he friends with me He's so well cool. yeah yeah that, i'm constantly thinking that actually uh but um i 
<laughs> I like how we're not saying that about each other. We're <laughs> yeah. We're like, no, we're friends, obviously. But like, no, we're friends. <laughs> obviously, we're friends. Like, come on. We're basically we're the like, same. So cool. But Tim, like, oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, but no, yeah, I am. I'm always thinking this, but I don't say it to him, uh, you know, over voice or, or, or personally because I don't want to like put pressure on him. Uh, if he okay. He's not here. To He's not going to see this. I, I really, I really want him to make more videos. Like I fucking like, I'm desperate for more Tim shit, honestly. You're a Tim head. I'm a Tim head. I'm one of the biggest Tim heads out there. So. You know, but he's got a lot of other cool stuff that he's working on at the minute. And of course he does this show with us. So, you know, you can get as much Tim as everybody else is getting. If you become a patron, you can get more Tim. That's right. That's right. So, uh, thank you so much, everybody, for watching. It's been amazing. And thank you, Kira, for being my friend and co-host on this amazing show that we do. Uh, See you next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Red Planet. If you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell all your comrades about it. Find more on the show, including where to watch live at redplanetshow.com. Follow us on Twitter and TikTok at red underscore planet underscore TV. And there's even more at our Patreon, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Our music is by Jasper Byrne. Red Planet is produced by Conrad Zimmerman in association with Mercenary Creative. See you next week.